Our guest this week, Bartholomew Jones, is a whole movement. His call is to love black people like you love black coffee. Now, through his advocacy and memory restoration of coffee's African origins, namely in Ethiopia, through his drawing attention to the historical exploitation and colonization of black labor in making coffee the second most traded commodity in the world after oil, through his entrepreneurship, his putting black ownership in coffee's $10 billion U.S. market. He and his wife, Renata, are gaining attention during this uh, award season for their documentary film, Coffee Black to Africa. Um, They also have their flagship anti-gentrification coffee club there in Memphis, right there in the hood in Memphis. And, And so listen, this is a dynamic brother. I'm telling you, he is again, a whole movement. He granted the parlay in in all blue his time to talk about coffee science, the business of beans, and the importance of understanding how we can grow as a community through coffee's black African roots. And he's a genuine brother, whether he is on NPR or featured in Essence or on The Hill and numerous other places. He's all over the places. Uh, he's He's all over the place for good reasons. He is genuine and he is the same everywhere as he was here on our appearance, uh, on this appearance in the, on the parlay in all blue. And he's a Memphis cat, which means, it, listen, he's got that Memphis swag and understanding and he upholds Memphis's rich musical tradition in terms of him being a rapper, uh, hip hop artist, and also his understanding of that city's uh, musical traditions. You hear it all. All of this and more on this episode of The Parlay in All Blue. Bartholomew Jones, welcome to The Parlay in All Blue. How are you, brother? Man, I'm blessed, bro. It's good to be here. Good to be here. How are you? I, I, I'm good, and it is so good to have you. And listen, first off, let me say this, how I even came across you or even became aware of you and your movement and what you're doing. My wife and I in Atlanta were out at a restaurant and a server, the white man had on, came up and had on a shirt that said, love black people like you love black coffee. And then my wife and I first week came up and like, what is what is going on here? And so when he came back, when he came back, because, you know, this is at in the height of all the Black Lives Matter and right after the George Floyd killing and everything. So I'm just like, is this a Jedi mind trick? And he said, so we asked him, he said, oh, you got to you got to know this brother. Follow him on Instagram. He's in the coffee and he's been in Africa and he's an activist and all of these things. So I went to your Instagram and lo and behold, what I found is I have these words because I have to figure out who I'm talking to on these uh, sessions. A self-described coffee nerd, an entrepreneur, hip-hop artist, Memphis cat, pan-Africanist, filmmaker, father, husband, 
activist, visionary, and a to pimp a butterfly inspired by hip hop lover. And so I said, you know, I'm just going to talk to all of these people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a list, man. When you say it out loud like that, it's kind of crazy. But that's 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 what I see. So wow. I want to start with your shirt. I believe it's it's the one that says "Make Coffee Black Again" right now. Yeah. What does that mean? It's kind of a double meaning. It's actually interesting depending on where we at. You know how people take it. You know, I always start off with the literal meaning, right? Um, you know, I think that from all of our travels and my own personal experiences, we believe coffee is a gift from the most high God. So we think that it is, uh, any gift, right. is valuable in and of itself without addition. Any creation of God is valuable because it's made in his image, right. In some degree or another. And so we believe that, you know, coffee itself is valuable. It doesn't need sugar and cream. I tell people all the time at the anti-gentrification coffee club, which is like our uh, longstanding coffee pop up in our neighborhood, you know, people say they don't like coffee. And I'm like, I don't like that coffee either. Whatever coffee you talk about that you don't like, I don't like that either. But let me put you on some other stuff. Might change your mind. We also believe, though, that coffee, you know, because it is an African innovation and African discovery, we believe that it has the potential to be returned to that and to do a lot of good in that return and in that reimagination of coffee's future. I always talk about coffee as a cipher and, you know, Africa kicks off the beat specifically in Ethiopia. And then the next people to start spitting over it are uh, folks in Yemen. And uh, you see this potential for this kind of global conversation, this global cipher over this beautiful seed from our motherland, but it it is quickly interrupted by colonialism and slavery and many of the other things that, you know, you can kind of pick a ism, right? And so Make Coffee Black Again is kind of a statement to say like, man, let's return coffee to its roots and in doing so kind of restart that cipher, that conversation between human beings on the planet around this seed from our motherland. So so when you say it originated in Ethiopia, is that t- bring us uh, bring us up on a little more of that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, most research says that coffee was discovered in the southern region of Ethiopia around 850 BC. That's kind of some of the the archaeological like evidence is where we first see mention of it. There's also the biological evidence, right? When we look at what pl- part of the planet has the most biological diversity, surrounding the coffee plant cafe arabica would be like the genus name um and you know there are 125 other species of coffee or 124 excuse me besides cafe arabica which is what most of us are familiar with and all of those species are indigenously found in on the continent of africa right cafe arabica as we know was discovered in eastern africa sudan and ethiopia but that's where the most genetic diversity is. They've done research on where are the mother trees, right? Where do all these trees kind of find their genetic, you know, foundational material? And it's coming from Ethiopia. So I think whether you're looking biologically or archaeologically, it's pretty clear Arabica was discovered in Africa. And then when you compound that with the fact that all the other genetic material for the other species, so when we're talking about uh, cafe, uh, Conifera, which is also known as Robusta, which is what kind of makes up most of our uh, our instant coffee, 
or when you're looking at coffee from places like Vietnam, so on and so forth, that coffee was brought from Africa. And that's indigenous to West and Central Africa. There's another species called Caffea stenifila, which is uh, currently being researched as indigenous in Western and uh, Central Africa. If you're a coffee person, you may know James Hoffman. Hoffman did an episode about this. I have a good friend of mine, Stephen Zinnerman, who was the first black coffee trader I met, who also did a lot of research and correspondence with uh, some professors who are kind of specializing in this field. Uh, people are curious about Cafe Stenifila because of its potential to be disease resistant and have high markers of flavor and quality. Uh, kind of the dichotomy at the moment is if you go with Arabica, you know, it's, it's more delicate, I guess. It's, it's not as resistant to disease. It can, it's not as resistant to bugs, but the flavor is immaculate, right? High amounts of natural sugar, natural sweetness, natural acidity. If you go with Robusta, and I think that people are changing their perspectives on Robusta, but the kind of the, the reputation it has is one that is low quality and flavor, but it's very disease resistant because it has twice as much caffeine. And caffeine, although it's beneficial to us humans because of its like uh, energizing properties, it's beneficial to plants because it's a natural pest repellent. Right. Animals and bugs don't like the taste of caffeine or the effect that it has. And so uh, coffee species with higher amounts of caffeine are naturally more disease resistant than more pest resistant. And so Robusta is kind of seen almost like the workhorse of the coffee genus or the coffee species because of its ability to naturally uh, withstand environments that Arabica may not do well in. A uh, cafe stenifila is really interesting because it's almost like the best of both worlds. And don't quote me, if I get stenifila and conifera mixed up, you know, charge it to my, ha my, my head and not my heart because uh, they both sound like Sesame Street characters. You feel me? Uh, but yeah, I think um, the, the, the newest species that's being reviewed is interesting. The, the, the cherry is actually black, like me. You know what I mean? And black, like right, you, my right, friend right. Steven, kind of pointed that out. But yeah, man, that's when we were, so we were talking about biological or archaeological or even just folk stories. Uh, we recently, I spent some time just asking you know, many people as we started, like, hey, I want to do respect to this. Where does this come from? Got a chance to talk to Mokhtar, who the book The Monk of Mocha was written about. Mokhtar started a company called The Port of Mocha, which is probably the most well-known Yemeni coffee exporting and importing company on the planet. And he was very upfront with me. He was like, I'll be honest, man, it came from Africa first and Africa shared this with us. So we actually just posted a reaction video from him on our social medias, he's talking about some traditional Arabic blessings he learned. And he talked about thinking about those after seeing, you know, the traditional African blessing we learned when we went to Ethiopia. But whether you're, however you're looking at it, it's black at the origin. And I think that it can be black again. It's black at the origin. And for anybody who's listening that doubted this brother's coffee nerdism, you just heard you just heard it all. So we could just drop that now. That box is checked. We know that we are listening right. to someone who knows his stuff. Now, now I wanna wanna stick there though in Ethiopia, because I've spent some time there and yep. uh I know you've gone there twice and actually done film footage, or maybe more than twice. I know at least that many times. So talk to me about coffee culture and what it means to Ethiopian uh, spirituality and family and just what, what it means to the Ethiopian people. Man, one thing I've learned about Ethiopia 
is is that the folks there are very proud. So I'm never gonna never gonna claim to speak for all Ethiopians, right? I'm gonna just tell hey, you yeah. what I learned. And I know that there are 80 different ethnic groups or more. And then all of them kind of have their own unique style, flavor, tradition, history. The people group that I'm the most familiar with are the Oromo folks. Uh, and, yep. and even in there, there's a ton of diversity, right? But we source our coffee from the Guji zone. And so that's kind of where we kick it. We also spent some time in Gemma, Agaro, Gera, Hawassa, uh, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, man, I think for me, the thing that I really was blown away by was this overarching belief when we talk to, whether we're talking to folks who are in Guji and they're more indigenous, or we're talking to folks in Gera or Garo, and we're looking at more of like an Islamic influence. The belief is that coffee comes from the Most High and it's a gift intended to help people be more human, be more kind, be more peaceful, be more generous. And the blessing centers around this word of Nagia. So the blessing is Bunafi Nagia Hendabina. That's a Guji blessing. Shout out to my folks in Guji. Ture Waji taught me that, who's kind of a community leader there, who's helped us to source some coffee. He has several exporting companies as well. And they believe that, you know, everywhere there is coffee, there is peace or there should be peace. Right. And if there's right. not peace, then the coffee is kind of, the, if you think about I had an Afrofuturistic professor, brother named Phil, I believe, Philip, and he we he spoke to me about, you know, as we pursue this Afrofuturistic of coffee, he said, what if you were to think about coffee as a technology, right? And not just as a culinary good, like a, a coffee as a biological technology that's able to program our bodies, our minds, and as we talk about faith, even our spirits to kind of function in a certain modality. The idea is if you're if there's no peace where there's coffee then you're using the technology wrong, right? It's like using an iPhone for a baseball bat. You know what I mean? Like you might get a couple months off, but just not the best use of the tech. And so if you're using coffee as a means of oppression, when we think about the slave trade or coffee as a means of elitism, when we think about gentrification, then the coffee is not, it's still going to be good, right? But it's not going to be at its best. There's something that enhances the flavor of foods when there's joy present in the human consuming it, right? I think that our palates are not just uh, objective. I think also when we think about the quality of coffee being grown, people who are experiencing peace produce better products. Hey, man, my daddy was a pastor, so we got to hit the alliteration a little bit. But, um, you know, and I I think there's, there's danger here if we go too deep and we start automatically assuming because the coffee tastes good that people were treated right like that's probably not the right way to use the equation i don't think we can go backwards and forth on that but we can say if people are treated better the coffee generally will taste better right then if people uh who are experiencing you know slave wages for their food and they're forced to overproduce and under care for the products because they're so swamped with production just to get enough to to get by. And I think our ancestors could relate to that if you think about sharecropping, right? (laughs) The quality of the products that we're producing for the market probably weren't as high because of the low wages we were receiving, which then impacted our ability to resource the crops we're growing and tend to them and so on and so forth. So that Bunafi Nagea Hindabina, I think is, is a beautiful thing. It means may your house lack no coffee nor peace. And I think it's also interesting 
that the blessing says house, right? It doesn't say may you lack no coffee nor peace, but there's kind of an inherent responsibility on you to include the benefits from the coffee you're receiving or the peace you're receiving. You, you are expected to include all those who are immediately around you. The animals, the plants, the community in Guji is, you know, it's kind of interesting. People think about sustainability. Sustainability is baked into ancestral African uh, farming practices. Uh, specifically, those folks in Guji understood, like, we don't burn things on the land. We know that the impact that we have on the land impacts us. The way we treat animals impacts us. And so even to the point where, you know, Traditionally, in our communities, when we get together to celebrate, we kill animals, right? We have a barbecue. We're burning the flesh of an animal to, to celebrate that. And I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. I think we got the best ribs on the planet. So I can get jiggy with that. But it's interesting in that community, they noticed that, you know, the suffering of that animal was kind of precluding some peace that they thought they could enjoy. And so instead of slaughtering the animal, slaughter, the word for slaughter in the panorama is kala. So instead of slaughtering the animal, they decided, what if we slaughtered this plant? So Buna is coffee, slaughter is kala. So Buna kala was something they did to replace killing an animal. They thought, man, coffee is a preserver of life. It should also include the animals around us. So let's preserve the life of these animals. Instead of a barbecue, we're going to have a coffee queue, right? So they did Buna kala, right. and they would do what I believe is the world's first bulletproof coffee. They would roast the coffee with the butter from the cows that they were tending. And that began mm -hmm. to be a replacement for just killing the animals outright. And I think that that peace right should be extended to humans. They also We also see they extended it to the uh, plants and animals around them as well. Even the way that they tend to their crops, there's a lot of beauty there. And I think that when we look at how most melanated people interact with coffee today or throughout most of Western history, it has not been an interaction built on peace, right? It's been an interaction that's been problematic to say the least. I'm not trying to make it rhyme, but you know, it's, sometimes it's just that time, you know? Well, you, 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 you know, you flowing. So you say your daddy's a pastor and you a rapper. <laughs> so listen, we, yeah. we expect the words to flow now, but, but I want to want to pull on that a little bit. Because the name of your flagship there in Memphis is the Anti-Gentrification Coffee Club. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about if I were to visit there, what would I see and what's the what's the what's the spirit behind the uh, Anti-Gentrification Coffee Club? Yeah, man, I think it's. You know, not to be the dead horse, but the idea is peace. Right. Uh, we want to see what does. This is a phrase my wife and I made up about a month ago, so I'm, you know, bear with me here. But what does a culturally congruent experience with coffee look like for folks in our community? And so that requires a bit of imagineering. My daddy would call it Afro engineering. You know what I mean? Shout out to Maurice Henderson the first. Some people would say another phrase that means black folks making something out of nothing. But it requires us to kind of like reconstruct what we're gonna do from history. So the first thing you'll probably hear when you walk up is you're going to hear music and you're going to hear music kind of rooted in the blues. You're going to hear rap music where in Memphis, so depending on the barista, you might hear some Young Dolph. You know what I mean? Uh, you're going to hear some jazz. Depending on the barista, you might hear some Neo Soul. You might hear some R&B. You might hear some Afro beats, some traditional Ethiopian music, but all of it is going to be kind of rooted in this African experience 
and this African scale of music. So that's the first thing. And I think that's a little different than what you hear when you walk up to most coffee shops. You know what I mean? Specifically specialty coffee shops. Next thing you're going to see is you're going to see a big sign. Uh, sign says anti-gentrification coffee club. Uh, there's a fist on the sign and an X around the, the fist. And that's obviously a nod to, you know, our brothers and sisters in the past, the, the Panthers and what they were able to do, Brother Malcolm and what he was able to accomplish, which I think is also kind of like, <laughs> I, I, I sometimes wonder what people who uh, what people who are not from our community feel like when they walk up and they see that sign outside the coffee shop. It's got to be an interesting thought process. And you're going to see a couple murals, one mural kind of highlighting the Jebina and the experience surrounding that and some phrases we love to say like no sugar no cream love black people like you love black coffee you're also going to see a mural with the ethiopian blessing and like an artist depiction of uh nesru who's uh a woman in ethiopia nesru abanura her husband mansoor abahika if i'm saying their last names right if i get it wrong charges to my head not uh, uh not my heart but yeah they, they they taught my wife how to roast indigenously in Africa on our most recent trip. And so we have a picture of Nestor and her daughter baking coffee in the Jevena, and that's kind of outside the coffee club. When you walk in, the same music you heard outside, you're going to hear it inside. You're going to see a ton of portraits of pictures from folks we met over our travels in Ethiopia and Rwanda, as well as some friends from the coffee club that we've made along the way, baristas we've hired to come in and work with us from the community. And then you're going to receive an introduction that kind of gives you the brief history of who we are, what we do. You're going to see merch on the wall. You're going to see records all over the place. You know, depending on the day, you might see rappers in there working on beats. You might see activists having a meeting. You might see families with kids. We are we call ourselves a kid friendly cafe. You know, a lot of a lot of cafes brag on how they're dog friendly. We think people are more important than things. Not that we don't like dogs, but you know, I feel yeah, like there's yeah, a lot yeah. of work done. <laughs> there's a lot of work done to make dogs feel comfortable. But when my little black babies is running around, they get weird stares. And so my right. wife has pointed that out on several occasions. And then yeah, man, you're gonna be you're gonna see that you can pay what you want. So we kind of have a pay what you want option for people. We tell people, hey, the first sip is free. If you don't like it, it's on me. You know what I mean? And some some of my neighbors is on their 13th sip. You know, it's still free. Um, you know, because we don't want price to be a barrier to access to our heritage, right? And so then we have some people who come in, they pay much more than what the price is. So it all kind of balances out. Yeah, man, we got couches. We wanted to feel like your auntie's living room. You know what I mean? So we got some couches in there, got some chairs in there, got some sweet potato pies in there. You know what I mean? Uh, to provide the vibes for the people. That's awesome, man. That's that's really awesome. And I'm, I want to just add a little bit of, of my experience to a couple of things that you said in there is that so I went to Ethiopia with my family a while back yeah. and we had the opportunity to spend time in people's homes and went to different places where where there were people roasting coffee. And there was a, a woman who prepared a meal meal for my family there and show my daughter how to make the injera and all of those things. And then when it came time for the coffee, she did the whole roasting. She put wrapped her head because it's a sacred process. Same as when we were in Aromia. There was one place that we kept driving through because we were all over the country. It was this brother, man. And, and listen, these people are rich in spirit, but poor in terms of finance. And I'm like, well, what, you know, how much is the coffee? He's like, no, no, I just, you know, I'm happy that you're here from the United States and that you're back home. And so 
the humanizing experience was so it, it was so much around coffee that I had never, ever, ever thought of before. The other thing that I'd like to add, and when you mentioned activists, to tie this to the other end of activism, I think people don't understand how much coffee and coffee shops have played for good or bad, depending on how you use it. And I love the way you said uh, about the spirit of it and whether it's done in love, is that in New Orleans, Pete Maspero's, which is a bar now, but during the 1800s and the 1700s, it was Pete Maspero's Coffee House. And that's where a lot of the slave trading was done. It was a slave trading center. Also in London, because coffee made a lot of the sort of modern world, there were many coffee shops. Lloyd's of London was first a coffee shop where a lot of shippers, merchants, and people came. And so what ended up happening is that insurers started setting up booths there or little places. And how it became a thing is Lloyd consolidated all of that. And that's how we get to where we know. So I think people have no idea what uh, we know, cotton, we know sugar, and we know those things. Yeah. But coffee was also a huge colonization thing. So I'm glad to hear the activists and the artists in the anti-gentrification club, because it's a tool. It depends on how we use it. Yeah. And I think for me, it's one of those interesting things where the last piece of the coffee club really is the quality of the coffee, both in sourcing and preparation. I think we've seen a world where, you know, you kind of imagine the soul quarian aesthetic, right? Erica Badu, this graffiti on the wall aesthetic for a coffee shop. We've seen that in the 90s in, in Black communities. And that kind of coffee shop was built around what, what we in the industry would call second wave coffee, which is kind of like uh, the goal is comfort, right? There is some com- information like you start hearing words like fair trade. Maybe uh, you might see the origin of a roast like this is a Colombian dark roast. But the focus is still mostly on making the community feel comfortable, which is important, I think maybe has been lost in certain points. But you didn't really get much information about the quality of the coffee on its own. It was more so about what you added, like, oh, this is a caramel latte. You see a lot of whipped cream on the latte and the, the syrups, and you still have these kind of darker roasts where I think our, our space differs a little bit and where we want to provide the aesthetic of comfort, of quality, of you feeling like this is a space for you. But there is a bit of like, almost like what I like to call the DJ spirit, where we're trying to put you on. Like the best DJs to me are not just going to play the top 40. They're not just taking requests. Yeah. They have curated something that they feel like the people need to experience. And so while they're going to make you feel comfortable, they might play some Beyonce. They might play some, you know, uh, Isley Brothers. They're also going to play some stuff you hadn't heard of or at least hadn't heard in a long time. And they're going to try to get you to open your palate a little bit. And so that's the tension where we live. In most of the places where you see what, what we call third wave coffee, you don't see very many black folks. You know what I mean? These are your hipstery cafes. These are flannel and boots yeah. and beards, pour overs, single origin espressos, light roast. There's flavor notes on the coffee, minimalistic decoration. And we feel like, yo, that too is something that is valuable in much way as a kid. I love my father, but he didn't have necessarily my taste in steaks. 
And so growing up, I didn't like steak. I thought I didn't like steak because the steak he was giving me was, you know, very, 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 very dark roasted. If we use some coffee turkey. And that's because we were worried about germs. I get it. Yeah, but yeah. as oh, I yeah, got older, yeah, I started yeah, getting we, put onto that world of like, ooh, the, the the medium well, medium rare, even rare. You get that nice crust. You know, you pay more attention to the sourcing of the of the steak, right? And so that's a parallel to what's happening in coffee in third wave. Some would even say fourth wave. People are paying to the, what does this taste like on its own? No additives, no syrups. And the idea that coffee being a fruit Right, kind of opens this world where you have these people called Q graders, which is like a coffee equivalent of a sommelier, right? Where you actually go through and identify flavor notes. Coffee's given a score from zero to a hundred. Those those coffees pushing the 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89 don't normally come into our communities in ways that are culturally congruent. Mostly when those kind of the best of the best coffees are being drank. We're not around. And if we are around, people kind of look at us like, why are you here? What's ironic, yeah. though, and you pointed this out with the with the um, with the shops that you mentioned was that this celebration of coffee quality so, for some reason goes hand in hand with almost an ignoring of like the quality of life for the people who have the same skin color of that coffee, who come from the same place with that coffee. You know what I mean? And so even in that history, you have these people celebrating this beverage that comes from the same people that they're trading like they're the same kind of cash crop as the coffee they're drinking. You know what I mean? Brother, brother, let me let me say this. I am a huge, huge jazz fan, which is an African-American creation. Yeah. I've been in record shops all over the world because I've collected like before you could buy a subscription and get all the music. I used to I, that was my thing. And I have been in, in jazz shops with white folks and I'm hearing them talk to each other and I try to turn them on to, well, you might like this. If you like that trio, if you like Bill Evans, you might want Ahmad Jamal. And they look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, this is my shit. Yeah. Excuse the audience. But anyway, I'm going to keep going because yeah. I want to respect your time, brother. It's a couple of things I want to get uh, before you got to get out of here. You as an entrepreneur, and I, I remember following you through social media when this came about that you said you have an all black supply chain. Yeah. Tell me what that means and why was that important to you? Yeah, man. So you know, I, when we, I wanna, let me say this as, as you answer. I'm up against the clock for your time because I want to keep you going. So, you know, I, now, give me three minutes. All right, here we go. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the goal. Actually, it was funny. I was talking to somebody from New Orleans. And they had reached out about us possibly like collaborating with them on this kind of interactive coffee experience. You spoke briefly about the importance of New Orleans, right? So these gentlemen came up to the coffee club to see the film during the Indy Memphis Film Festival. And as we talked, you know, one of the things I mentioned was the all black supply chain, why it's important. And prior to seeing the film, these my Caucasian brothers were kind of like, you know, I don't get it. Like, why does it matter who you source your coffee from? Right. Like they didn't understand why that was an important thing. What good would it do if you buy from a black importer versus a white importer or a black exporter versus a white importer? You employ black Q graders versus white. Why does it matter? Right. And after seeing the film, they got it. And I think the concept here is the same concept that we have when people say shop local. Right. Shop small. The goal is you want to take an underrepresented group and give them access to capital that's in proximity 
to their product, right? And so when we look at the coffee supply chain, you know, most people don't know this, but coffee is one of the most profitable industries on the planet, right? It's, uh, I just attended a fashion show with one of my big cousins. I love her. She was talking about how much money, you know, the fashion industry does in America a year. And I don't remember the exact number, but it was in the millions, right? When we're talking about coffee, we're not just talking about 1 billion, 2 billion. We're not talking about 10 billion, 20 billion. We're not talking about 100 billion, 260 billion dollars a year globally, right? This is the most traded good from third world countries after oil. It's the most drank liquid on the planet after water. And only, according to the president of Uganda, only 1%, less than 1%, 2 billion out of 400, that's easy math, right? 1% of 400 billion is 4 billion. 2 billion, which is less than 1%, goes to African countries. If we were to include African Americans, Afro-Brazilians, Afro-Colombians, Jamaicans, I don't imagine the number gets much larger. Right. 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 And so when we talk about where does that money get spent, that money is not primarily going to producers because we know producers are still being when I say producers, I'm not talking about hip hop, talking about people, people who are who are growing this thing. Those are they're still being underpaid. So they're not getting most of that 460 billion. I know that baristas are not getting most of that money because baristas are still underpaid. We see the Starbucks workers are still doing forming unions, so on and so forth. So that's not it's not at the beginning or the end of the supply chain. So where is the money? It's with the middlemen, right? It's with yeah. the traders. It's with the exporter and the importer and all these different trading houses that exist across Europe. So if we want to make the money in this industry go to the people who have been left out, it's not about excluding anybody. It's about including people who have been historically excluded. We want to include those people, people whose neighborhoods are being gentrified, people whose communities have been colonized, people whose goods have been commodified. If we want to include those people, we're going to have to be intentional again on who we source and where the money goes. So the idea is same with shopping small, same with shopping local. If we shop black, right, we're going to make that money circulate. And you can listen to any Dr. Umar speech and he'll tell you, you know, how little the money in our community circulates. I don't agree with everything that brother says, but he got some good points and that's one of them. Right. So if we want to make that globally happen, if we want the money to circulate with the people who are descended from the same place where this coffee is from and whose ancestors were taken to grow it into this industry, when we look at Brazil, how instrumental that was, the slave trade there for getting coffee to the market. Right. We got to make that money work with those people. And so that's where the idea of a of an all black supply chain is really about an all intentional supply chain. Let's intentionally spend our money, especially when we think about middlemen with people who are from or are descended from the areas where this coffee has been taken. Hey, listen, um, I am. And thank you for that. That's a great explanation. I'm glad you explained it. I feel like this. I'll have to tell you this. Do you know how many businesses have all white supply chains? But that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother thing. So I'm glad you 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 you're there on it, man, and a brother with integrity who knows what he's doing. Listen, you are you and your wife. I saw the film, and the name of the film is what for people who it's uh coffee black to Africa. You spell coffee with an X, no O, like Malcolm. It's available for purchase on our website right now. It's also available to anyone who joins our Patreon, which is the cheaper option. It's five bucks a month. Okay. All right. So you and your wife are doing a wonderful thing. Then it's, it's, I, I love it. Like I said, at the beginning, just 
I love people who operate on an intellectual level and the way you not just saying I'm I'm opening up a coffee shop or in the coffee, but you can tell that you know it and that it's a family business and like your wife is doing the roasting and that you're doing business with people in Africa. And you're also expanding with every cup a an idea of what it means to be human and what it means to be black and human in the world. So I appreciate that. Last yeah. two questions as we get out of here. What does it mean to live well? Uh, for me, man, I, I really, yeah, I'm a person of faith. And for me, I think living well means living in alignment with the most high's will for creation. And um, it really comes back to this idea of peace. In my faith tradition, we would say shalom, right? But I see the same heart in the indigenous communities in Guji, where they're talking about Nagia, right? And this idea of having peace. I think it's peace first within, between yourself and the creator. And, you know, we could talk offline about my perspectives on what it means to do that. But I think that you kind of see this overflow of peace within self, peace with your neighbor, right? Peace with our family, peace with our uh, with our history as well. And I think the, the things that our ancestors, the saints before us have gone through, you kind of got to reconcile to that. And then that creates a world where our descendants can live in peace with each other as well. And to me, somebody asked me, like, what does success look like for our business? And for me, it means that my children and the children of the farmers who we're partnering with, I don't consider them just producers or farmers. They're small black businesses, too. Right. So this is a collaboration. Our children visiting each other, going to university together, you know, building businesses together. Uh, that's what success in, in, in the future looks like for myself and my wife. We talk about this a lot. That's our constant prayer is we want to see that peace produce uh, prosperity for our descendants and those who we partner with uh, in the supply chain. Yeah, yeah, man. Hey, listen, and like I said, I've been following you since that time when my wife and I came across the uh, the brother of a different pigmentation with the yeah. shirt on. And he was so enthusiastic about what you were doing. And, and you all have lived up to all of that. And I had time to spend some some time with you all when you had the had the film here in Atlanta. So I want to thank you for that. Now, this last question, this is for all the marbles. You on the spot. Okay, wow. All right, here we go. You on the spot. Now, I'm just gonna say this off top. Music would not sound the same without the city of Memphis. Come on now. But it's got a rich that. history. It's got a rich history. So you're gonna have to get focused on this. I want to program. I want you to program a concert for acts. Oh, okay. One, a two, a third, and then a headliner. Dead or alive, past, present, any genre. Memphis concert. So if I'm coming from out of space and I just want to, what is? Give me the Memphis wow. concert. Okay. Four though. You only get four. Mm. Wow. Okay. Okay, man, that's a good question. Okay, let, let, let me see what we got here. I'm gonna try to put my try to you know what I mean. Let me get my let me get readjusted for this question. It's a big question, man. So folks are gonna be mad at me if I don't get this right. Um, so I want to start off with Al Green. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Al Green. Right. I want to start okay. off with Al Green. He's the minister, right? So he's got to he's got to bless the space, right? We want to start off okay. with with Al Green. Um, I think after. Al Green, this is gonna be a pool, right? But but trust me, I'm going somewhere here, right? 
I want to start off with Al Green, and then I want to have I Make Mad Beats. You may not know about this brother giving TED Talks. Okay. I want to have him doing a personalized beat set accompanied by uh, WC Handy, right? Ooh, all right, okay. boy, boy. All right, we're going to get creative here. We got, we time is not a factor, so we time traveling, okay? We got collaborations okay. popping, okay? So that's what I want to see happen. After that, yes. after those brothers play that set, what I want to see for my third act is I would love, love, love to see Otis Redding and B.B. King play the same set. You know what I mean? I want to see Otis Redding accompanied by B.B. King. And then last but not least, this is a, a bit of a selfish piece, but I think that we would be remiss to do anything in Memphis without, you know, acknowledging the work of 3-6 Mafia. You know what I mean? And so I think I saved him for the at-night set because Grandma and them might need to leave. You feel right. me? Uh, right. But I, I definitely want to see them, and I would love to see Project Pat in that, and I would love to see Duke Deuce doing the dancing. Like, you know, juking is a, is a huge part of our culture, and I love to see Duke Deuce uh, and maybe Lottie Yates and Lil Buck doing some performance with 3-6 and um, Project Pat performing at the end, man. So that's right. that's my set. Listen, that's a hell of a set. Now, I'm going to tell you this, because I have a heavy Mississippi audience B.B. King, they're going to love it, but they're going to say, man, B.B. is ours, but they but, but I know they're going to give it to Memphis because that's right. where it got to Okay, look, look, okay. That, I'll give I'll give B.B. King, uh, yeah. if we can have, um, can I have uh, Ida B. Wells Woo! doing right. uh, an yeah, oration? Yeah. Just, can just I have Ida B. Wells doing an oration? Just doing the oration and come in and just, you know, set the, set the just thing. Just read. I just want her to do a reading, a company. You know what I mean? I got you. We had Ida B. Wells' great-granddaughter on the show last season. So that, oh, that wow. We love Sister Ida B. Yeah, we glad she's got her statue up there. Take that Nathan Bedford Forrest crap Woo! and throw it in the water. But listen, I'm going to tell you this, and we so appreciate you having you. But Isaac Hayes want to holler at you. Yeah. As to why they get put it on. It was a choice between Isaac and Otis for me. Okay, well, okay, I'm just saying, so, brother, you got to walk the streets of Memphis <laughs> in the anti-gentrification club. You ain't got to explain to me, you know, <laughs> the whole Stacks family, you threw, Pro- you threw Project Pat in there, uh, money bag, yo, that's what my, ch- what my son said, uh, you know, babe, is he going to say money? Money bag is dope. Money bag is dope, but I, right. I think... You know, I wanted to get the root. You know what I mean? I got you. I got you. Hey, listen. Yeah, but money bag is dope. You know, I thought about throwing Dolphin there, just right, as right. as a as a as a rest in power. But for me, I'm like, if we doing that sound, you know, unless we go getting into like Laura Infamous or something, like I, I feel like that I, a three six is just a great way to end the show. You know what I mean? Hey, I love it, brother, and I um I want to wish to you all prosperity and all peace and all the best because you and your wife through what your travels, the filmmaking, what you're doing there for the community with the anti-gentrification club with success comes challenges. And so I, I wish wisdom on you that yeah. you to, to get through that. Stay dope, stay genuine 
And I so appreciate you. And um, and and we 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 have enjoyed having you on the parlay and all blue and wish you nothing but the best. Man, thank you, brother. I feel like we could we could sit here and cipher for hours. So I'm definitely excited, you know, for the second feature. We got to book a, a, a 90 minute session next time. Um, right. I want to I would be remiss if we left without mentioning three things we're working on right now. Yes, please. Um, number one is the barista exchange program. Uh, mm. While I was in Rwanda, I met a young uh, farmer, 25, really cool brother. He's trying to mentor a group of younger Rwandan farmers. There's this issue of local consumption in a lot of producing countries, countries that produce coffee outside of Ethiopia, Sudan, Eritrea, so on and so forth. Most countries that receive coffee from colonialism don't drink that coffee. That's because for most of colonial history, people were killed, beat, if they were found withholding coffee cherries. And we see the same thing with cotton. Imagine if our ancestors kept some cotton home to like sow, right? It's just not, it's not going to be a possibility. So now we see that there's trauma and a lot of the youth don't want to do coffee. In Kenya, we see people walking on coffee farms. The brother mm. I met was like, I wanted to inspire the youth to stay in coffee. Rwandan guy, Rwandan youth. I was a teacher for 10 years. I already knew the game plan. You got a bunch of youth and you want them, a bunch of black youth, and you want them to do something that they see as primarily white. How do you encourage them to explore the possibilities here? Representation. Yeah. So I asked the brother, hey, how was Ethiopia, bro? How did the youth respond to seeing the ceremony? How did they feel about seeing the Jebina? How did they feel about learning those blessings like Bunapina Gea, Hendabina? And he was like, what? I said, how was Ethiopia? Oh, y'all went to Sudan. How was Sudan? Or right. Eritrea? He said, no, nah, brother, we went to Italy. I said, Lord, all right, okay, right, we went right. to Italy. Italy's dope. But if I got a group of young black kids who don't want to do something because they think that's some white folks stuff, and I want to show them some people who do it to inspire them to see that it's not just some white folks stuff. In fact, historically, it's actually a black, it's some black folks stuff. I don't think Italy's going to do the job. And so, you know, we started talking about what does it look like for him to see the multiplicity of different innovations we have in coffee in the States or that we've discovered around the diaspora. And of course, the issue became money. We're a small black business. You know, I've done the math. It's going to cost me somewhere around 30, 40,000 to like fly, house, feed everybody. Like, if I took four young coffee enthusiasts from the motherland and brought them here, that's how much I think it would cost. And then, you know, double that to bring African Americans over there. Flights is like 10, 15, the food, oh, yeah. the travel, so on and so forth. So I was like, how can I fund this? How can I fund this idea, this barista exchange program, if you will? And, um, you know, I had the idea of our culture again. Our culture is loved all over the world. It makes everybody millions and billions of dollars. Let's tap back into that. Same idea with the coffee. What's another thing that kind of parallels that? Sneaker culture. So I was like, yeah. let's design our own shoe. So we work with a black designer here. We designed the shoe. The shoe's 120 bucks. It's up for pre-order now. If I sell a thousand pairs, boom, I got the money I need to bring these folks over to bring some people, some young African-American baristas we've met in our travels on this side over there, have a little exchange program. And I, my goal is just to let the minds meet and see what these young folks come up with, what they create. So we really need support on that. I need to sell a thousand shoes. I've sold like 15. Uh, so we right. got a long way to right. go. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, definitely share that. And then we're going to Ghana next month to explore and research West African coffee. Chance the Rapper is doing, uh, I mentioned Coffee Growing in Central West Africa. Chance the Rapper is doing a Pan-African concert with him, Vic Mensa, Erica Badu, T-Pain, Toby Nwigwe, Manifest, a bunch of other Afrobeats artists, as well as an art gallery with art from the diaspora. 
And so they're doing this experience. You know, the spirit told me that there will be people there we need to meet who are have the same values we do. And so I'm flying out there. I'm flying out there on the first with my best friend, Milan Cradle, who you met. He lives in Atlanta as well. We'll be heading out there to research and to 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 network. And then lastly, we are planning a group trip. A lot of people who have seen the documentary have said, hey, how can we go to the motherland with you all? November yeah. 2023, we're planning a trip. We've got the itinerary built out. Now we need to build a like a landing page on our website so folks can purchase tickets. So, yeah, stay tuned for all those things, man. And um, this is kind of like not a, a big piece of news, but we, we have been commissioned to write a pilot for a sitcom for HBO Max uh, oh, about... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the sitcom is about, thank you, brother. It's about a rapper turned teacher who loses his job and starts a coffee shop in his hood to keep it from being gentrified, which may sound familiar. We yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, we've officially, we've officially turned into pilot. So now we're waiting to hear back what revisions they have and whether or not the shooting of the pilot will be greenlit. So well, that's listen, the news. I'm not surprised by any of that. Where can people find information about all of those things? Copyblack.com is kind of the best way to go. You can look at all of our articles that kind of educate you about what's going on. Uh, you can go to our social media, uh, TikTok and Instagram, kind of the best ways to find out what's happening with us. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's dope. And you get some good merch. I have my uh, Black People's Black People Smart upstairs. That's dope. I didn't want to wear it on this interview because I thought that would be a little corny because you're yeah. already here. But I really want you to, brother. If you can bring back the one, I think it says Ethiopia, Yemen, Kenyan, uh, something, and then I, it's the orange one. It's, oh, yeah. It's actually back. All the hoodies oh, from the back? past year are okay. back until the end of the year, and that'll be the last chance to grab those. So definitely, you know, Christmas presents, all that. Go ahead. Yeah, go run it I want to get that one. I want to get that in the 2X, and I got the, um, the my son doesn't know it. I got the coffee black, sling black sling bag form for Christmas is upstairs. Oh, that's fire. And my wife took the cup with the African blessing on it, uh, made your house uh, lack no cough. What's the phrase again, brother? Uh, it's May your house lack no coffee nor peace. I can't even touch it no more. My wife have it in the car, looking the car is there. She Jeez. got it on meeting. She didn't gangster it from me. Anyway, all the best to you. We appreciate you, you and appreciate every minute of your time. You be well. You too, brother. We appreciate you here at the Parlay in All Blue. Please tell someone about us. Share the podcast. Make sure you leave a comment. You can find the Parlay in All Blue at Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, or Stitcher. Wherever you receive your podcast, you can find us there. Make sure that you add us as a favorite. Follow us or subscribe. Whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you're plugged in. We want to say a big thanks to DJ Marky G for allowing us to use his music exclusively on our podcast. We appreciate it, bro. Much love. Thank you again. I'm out.